what it takes for a marriage to succeed, most would agree and most would say, well, it takes two, right? And uh, we think that way. It takes two, meaning the husband and the wife both have to contribute. But I'm sure when Peter wrote the first seven verses of chapter 3 in his first letter, that he would not have said, it takes two. I think he would have said, I believe, I'm sure he would have said. There's no question that Peter believed it takes three. Not two, it takes three. And as we talk about that this morning, it takes three to make a marriage all that God designed and intended it to be. And we're going to look this morning at 1 Peter chapter 3 in the first seven verses. So if you'll open your Bibles with me or your copy of the Scriptures, if you don't have a Bible underneath the chair in front of you, there should be one available, a hard copy. And, of course, you know how to navigate your uh, tablets or phones. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. If you're using the Bible under the seat in front of you, it's page 851. And uh, we'll be moving through the text. So this morning, we're going to spend some time looking at what Peter has to say about marriage. Now, stay with me. Stay with me. You said, well, I've just, you just started. What? Well, because I recognize that the minute I said we're going to look at what the Bible says about marriage from 1 Peter chapter 3, I may have lost you already you may have immediately concluded that nothing I'm going to say this morning uh, will apply to you. You may be saying, well, I'm not married, and uh, I'm not even remotely thinking about getting married. I don't have anybody I'm interested in. Uh, You may say, well, you were married once, and your spouse is no longer with you. You've had a very difficult marriage, and and, 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 and just aren't interested in marriage. And, and there may be any number of other thoughts that would cause you to say, marriage, I'm not there this morning. But listen, our culture, the world in which we live, does not know God. Therefore, it has no awareness of God's design or his purpose for marriage. And so in 1 Peter chapter 3, and in verses 1 and 7, when, when I read verse 1, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Verse 7, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. People without God don't want to hear it. If you've ever had an opportunity to be at a wedding where there were primarily or mostly unsaved people and, and the, the, the pastor leading that wedding ceremony talked about wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Husbands, be considerate. You would feel the tension. You could see the tension. Absolutely, it's not what our world wants to hear. They misunderstand, they mock the idea of wives being in submission to their own husbands. And that has also affected what some 
in the church today think about that idea as well. I can't believe the Christian articles that I read that try to move that away, that this is 2023, certainly when Peter wrote this in the first century, he couldn't have intended to apply to men and women marriages today in 2023. And to further complicate the issue, the way this text has been abused by men who are ignorant of God's intent for marriage, wow, I get why some of you may have tuned me out already just because I talked about marriage or what the Bible says in the verses I've read. However, today, stay with me. If for no other reason, we all need to hear what Peter has to say about how wives and husbands are to function in a godly marriage. You will have opportunity for influence if you know what God's word says about a godly marriage and what it is supposed to be. You see, God's plan for marriage and the family is a significant part of the church's ministry today. And when the marriages fall apart and the homes follow, they fall apart. And when those things fall apart, the church is weakened significantly. It is critical that we understand what the Bible says about a godly marriage and how he designed it to work. The devil is doing all he can to undermine and to destroy God's plan for marriage as he designed it at the beginning of creation. Marriage and what the word says about it has nothing to do with our culture. It is started in creation, and that creation plan has been universal through time and through the eras in which we've lived, and we need to get that today. Here's what our statement of faith at Heritage Baptist Church says, and if you've never looked at that, I, I hope you have. Uh, for those of you to join, you've had to have assigned a statement that said you agree with it, so here it is. We believe that God created biblical marriage to be only between one man and one woman united in a covenant relationship before God. Scripture reserves sexual activity to the marriage relationship. Amen. Now listen, I'm not trying to pick a fight here this morning, folks, but if there are some of you who don't like that, look to the Bible, because that's what this is based on. Our statement is founded, built upon the Word of God. Clearly, what Scripture states is the point and purpose and design of marriage. You see, this is not about the, the correct political position. It is not about the correct cultural position. It's not even about the most practical position, though I think it's very practical, this is about God's position and his design for marriage, period. I know some churches won't even touch these subjects for fear of offending people who don't know God, who have happened to come into the auditorium of their local church service. And I'm like, I, I, I'm not out to offend people, 
But this is God's truth. This is God's word. And people need to know what we believe and why we believe it as it relates to marriage. And so as we talk about that this morning, back to 1 Peter chapter 3. And I want to say this. For those of you who may think you don't need to hear anything about marriage, it's got nothing to do with you this morning, oh, you will have opportunities to talk about what God's word says about marriage. You will have opportunities to influence others. Titus tells us about the older men influencing the younger men, the older women influencing the younger women. We have those, those opportunities to do that. Pastor Scott talked about back as we uh, began in 2 Peter chapter 2 and uh, verses 11 and 12, he talked about the fact that we ought to be submitting to every human authority. And then it says, and slaves ought to be submitting to their masters. And if you look at that in verse 13, or excuse me, verse, yes, verse 13, Peter says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. It's not just some whim, some personal preference for the Lord's sake. You move down to verse 18, slaves in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to, the, to your masters. So this is about God. And, and when we move into chapter 3, wives in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. The in your same way has to do with what Peter just talked about back up in verse 13 and in verse 18. In the same way, we put ourselves under voluntarily, willingly under the authorities that God has placed in our lives. And we do that so that, as Peter says in verse 12, we can live such good lives among the pagans, those who don't know Jesus, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us, the day Jesus comes back again. How would that happen? Because people turn to God. And Peter's implying that when they, people who don't know Jesus see Jesus lived in and through us, they see our lives, they see our conduct, they see our behavior, they see our actions, they see our attitudes. They see our good deeds, they'll give glory to God. So wives, submit yourselves in the same way to your own husbands. To fulfill your role in marriage, wives, this morning, you are to voluntarily put yourselves under the God-appointed leadership of your husbands. It is about yielding your rights and your will to your husband's wishes or advice as an expression of your Love for him. Willingly yielding to that authority. That God, that God, I say that God has placed in your life. Now, when Peter goes on here, when he talks about wives in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands on into verse, so that, if any of them do not believe the word, the word of God, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. 
Some would say that this text is only speaking to wives to submit to their husbands who do not know Jesus so that by their submissive attitude and actions, that unsaved husband may be won to Christ. That is true, but it's not only. That's why I say this is all wives, always to all husbands. That's what Peter is saying. And then he's saying, if, in fact, any of those husbands do not believe the word, if they have not obeyed the word of God, in other words, if they have not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiving of their sin and the cleansing of their lives and the saving of their lives, then by your behavior, by submitting to your husband, willingly, voluntarily, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. That's a pretty amazing statement, wives. God has given you a responsibility. Now you say, how in the world did this happen? I thought that believers were not supposed to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers exactly. Paul made that clear. So what's happened here and why is Peter not addressing that issue? Because just like we saw when we went through the book of Corinth and the church of Corinth began, there were a bunch of women who were saved who were already married. Both husband and wife beforehand did not know Jesus. But somewhere along the line, the wife came to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Her, she believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. She believed that Jesus died in her place for her sins and was saved and forgiven. And that husband that she'd married still remained unsaved. And the wives in Corinth were afraid, shall we get divorced? Is it okay for us to stay married to an unsaved man? And Paul says, absolutely, do not get divorced. If he will live with you, you stay with him. Why would he want to live with you? Because wives, <laughs> this is what Peter says, you win your husband who doesn't know Jesus without words by the behavior that you exhibit before him. Amen. That's how. And when we live in, we, and, and folks, every, every time I, I talk about divorce, I want to be careful. I, please, I, I always give this disclaimer. My intent is not to criticize, to pick on anybody who's been divorced. That's not the issue here. If, if you're in that situation, I'm glad to talk with you about it, but that's not the point. The point here is God intends for you as a Christian man to stay together with your Christian wife, for you as a Christian wife to stay together with your Christian or unsaved husband. Either way, I said that backwards. Christian husband, unsaved wife, you stay together. Christian wife, unsaved husband, you stay together. And his responsibility, Scripture is saying that the saved person has a responsibility, has a love for that spouse that ought to want to lead them to Christ. And yet we so quickly and easily look for a loophole for divorce. We'd rather get out of the marriage than stay put in the marriage with the idea of winning that unsaved mate to Christ. It's not the way God designed it to be. He didn't design divorce 
in that regard. But certainly when that situation occurs, that's what happened to Peter's writing to women who got saved in a both of them unsaved marriage relationship. The wife got saved and, and he's saying, ladies, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that by your behavior, he may be won over to Christ even without words. Now, that doesn't mean they never should hear the word of, the word of God, but we all know what can happen. And, and many of you have probably seen it where an unsaved spouse is so burdened to win over their, or, or saved spouse, that's so burdened to win over their unsaved spouse that they preach and preach and preach and preach and preach and preach to the point almost of driving away the unsaved spouse. That's not what Peter's saying. You see, actions do speak louder than words oftentimes. And that's what Peter is saying, that wives need to. you got to look at Titus. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. And look at verse 3. Titus chapter 2 and verse 3. And uh, Titus just said in verses 1 and 2, he was talking to older men to teach the younger men. But he says, verse 3, likewise, teach the older women. Titus, you need to teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Why? So that then they can urge, the older women can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. What does that sound like? It sounds like what Peter just said in verse 12. Amen. That people would see our good deeds and give glory to God in heaven. Why? He's saying that to, to, to those, whether they be uh, putting ourselves under the authority of every, every, every human authority. Or slaves under the authority of their masters, employees under the authority of their employers, wives under the authority, their God-given authority of their husbands. That's what we're talking about. That's what Titus says the same thing. It's critical that we understand, wives, your actions speak louder than words, and Peter is challenging you. So that if any of your husbands do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Wow. I've seen situations, been involved in counseling situations and divorce situations where the unsaved spouse would just as soon get out of the marriage than see that person come to Christ. I can't explain every detail, and, and, I, and I get the hurt and the pain, but I know what Peter says. Look at verse 3. Then he says, Wives, your beauty should not, should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles, the wearing of gold jewelry, or fine clothes. Folks, Peter is not saying wives should walk around looking dowdy and ugly and 
unkept and all the rest of that stuff. No, that's, he's not saying it's wrong to do your hair, ladies. It's wrong to wear jewelry. It's wrong to wear nice clothes. That's not what Peter is saying. He's saying your outward adornment doesn't last. And that's not what makes you truly beautiful in the eyes of your husband or God. Rather, verse 4, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Oh, the, the outward stuff is fine, but if that's all you're dependent upon for your beauty, you've missed God's point and God's purpose in your life. He says it needs to be all about your heart. Wives, don't let your beauty be only skin deep. That's what Peter's talking about. Some might remember back in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7. You can write this down and check it out. But this is when Samuel is choosing the next king of Israel. And he comes to a, a, a dad named Jesse, a father. And, and he goes through all of his boys, seven of them, and, 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 and thinking Samuel thinks that one of them has to be the next king. And God says, nope. And, and he sends for David after he says to Jesse, the father, hey, is this all you got? Well, no, I got one. He's taking care of the sheep. You bring him in here. And then God says to Samuel, he says this, do not consider his appearance in his search for the new king. Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Amen. Wives, God is concerned about your heart. It is your heart that God wants to use to win over your unsaved husband. Amen. Actions do speak louder than words because beauty is usually only skin deep, especially when it doesn't go to the heart, the inner self of the gentle and quiet spirits spirit of the reverence before God. So that was a word to the wives. Secondly, how about a word to the husbands? Verse 7. It's, it's interesting to me that I would have preached this message last week had, uh, had I been able to stand up and be here. But here we are today on Father's Day talking to husbands. You know, our culture has such a time, our church has such a time, often with this business of wives submitting to their husbands, and yet we, we spend all our time talking about that. What does the word submit mean? And, and is it culturally savvy today to do that? Is that really what Peter expects? Is that really what God expects? And we spend all our time talking about that. We don't spend our time talking about what the husbands need to be doing. And I've said this many times before, there's no wife in her right mind who doesn't want to put herself under the authority of the kind of husband that we see in verse 7. Because when you have men as fathers, for those of you that are fathers, that kind of attitude towards your wives, look at it, verse 7, husbands, 
in the same way. Again, this has to do with, I say it again, it's all about living a holy life before people who don't know Jesus. In the same way, go back to verse 12 of chapter 2. In the same way, he's saying, you live your life before people who don't know Jesus. You make sure your life points people to Jesus. You make sure that people see your good deeds and give glory to God as a result of it. And Peter's saying that needs to be true, not just of your individual life, but believers of our marriages. Our marriages ought to point people to God. Have you ever thought about that? Husbands and wives, not just you individually, but your marriage ought to say something to people around you who don't know Jesus about your relationship with Christ. Husbands, be considerate as you live with your wives. That that means be considerate. It means to live live with your wife according to knowledge. According to knowledge, consideration means that you start with love. Paul in Ephesians 5 says, Husbands, love your wives like Christ loves the church. This is what Peter's saying here. When he's saying, be considerate, he's talking absolutely, he's talking about loving your wife. But he's saying you need to do it. You need to give consideration that involves a knowledge of your wife. That means, husbands, listen to me. That means you must know her. You got to spend time talking to her, learning about her. What makes her tick? What are the things she likes and doesn't like? What's her love language? A lot of years ago, Gary Chapman wrote a book called The Five Love Languages. Some of you may be familiar with that. I think it was written in the early 90s. Jane read it, got a hold of it, told me about it, said, I need to read it. And I said, I'm not reading that stuff. (laughs) Ooh, that's that's living according to knowledge. (laughs) So I got a hold of it. And I figured out the guy has some good stuff to say. And you say, what are love languages? Well, love languages are the different ways to love and that we love and are being loved, like to be loved. That we, we all show love in different ways and we receive love in different ways. And so when we talk about love languages, there are five of them that that are there. I'm not going to say they're the only ones. Gary Chapman says there's, number one, acts of service. I know my wife's love language. (laughs) See? I didn't even look that way, and then she's cheering already. That is her love language. When I read that and learned that, it saved me a lot of money. Because there's also receiving gifts. That's the second one. There's one that calls quality time. There's one that's words of affirmation. Anybody like to be complimented and and told how good of a job you just did? I think that's my second one. Because, Jane, if I do something, acts of service. In other words, when I said it saves me money, see, 
I don't have to go out and buy her gifts. All I have to do is clean the garage. <laughs> but after I cleaned the garage, she would say, I come upstairs into the kitchen where she may be and say, hey, hon, have you seen the garage? Because <laughs> I need words of affirmation. But my primary love language is gifts. Oh, I love to get gifts. <laughs> See? Hers is not gifts. And the love language, it does, just because mine is getting gifts doesn't mean that she likes to get gifts. We often, the love language that we have, the way we like to receive love, often is the way that we like to practice love. That doesn't mean that that's what she wants. And that's not Jane's love language. Seriously, if I clean the garage, man, as we say, husbands, happy wife, happy life. <laughs> right? But what is that all about? You say, love languages. I don't know anything about that. What's all that stuff? Exactly. That's the point. We need to take the time to know, to understand our wives' husbands. It is critical that we live with them according to knowledge, that we're considerate of their needs, not what I think their needs are, what I know their needs are. She's already told me, I don't like surprise parties. She's told me that for years. I know that. She repeated that to me, that when she turns this October, I won't tell you how old. She doesn't want a party. I would not be living according to knowledge if I thought, you know what? She doesn't really mean that. It would be just a good thing for me to have a surprise. It wouldn't work. That would be not what Peter's talking about. Then he says, husbands, treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. Now, here's another place where our culture tends to jump all over this. What do you mean the weaker partner? What are you talking about? He didn't say the lesser partner. Folks, I don't care what anybody says today. We all know it, that the man is typically stronger than the woman. That's how God made us. Does that mean there's not a woman who could beat me to a pulp? Of course not. <laughs> there just may be. But generally speaking, men are stronger than, wives, than women, right? We know that. Just look at the realm of athletics. And, and, and that's how God designed it to be. But when we know that, Another, here's the New Living Translation. It reads this way. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Amen. Doesn't mean that we're smarter, that we're better, that we're more popular, that we're uh, more authoritative. That's not what it's talking about. It literally is, I believe, the weaker physically. And Peter says, because of that, treat your wife with respect. So open the door, man. 
I don't always do it, but I try to open the car door for my wife. And, and folks, I don't want, this isn't about what I do or don't do. Men, be considerate of your wives. Treat them with respect. Honor them. Men, I would encourage you to do that for any woman. If you're going into a store, open the door. You know the look you'll get? They'll be shocked. Like, this guy is holding the door for me? Just to try it. It's amazing. But do it for your wife. God's plan. Husbands, treat them with respect, even though you are heirs in the gracious gift of life. Listen. We treat them with respect because we're one. When we read about God's initial plan and purpose and design for marriage in Genesis chapter 2, verses 20 to 24, you can check that out later on sometime. But it's, we have, the husband leaves father and mother, is joined to his wife, and they become one flesh. We become one. And if I'm one, when I'm taking care, Paul says, take care of your body, your wife like you take care of your body. You love your, no man ever hated his own body, but we as a husband and wife are one, one body. And we treat each other that way and respect each other that way. So I usually ask my wife, not always, I'm sure there are times that I don't, before I make an appointment for myself or her, I, I always, before I go out with the police on a ride-along, I always say, hey, hon, I'm thinking about going out next Tuesday evening at such and such a time. Is that okay? Why? Because we're one. She deserves that respect. Is that necessary? You say, she's to be submissive to you. Why do you have to ask? Is it necessary? No. Well, actually, actually, yes, It absolutely is necessary. And husbands, if you think because God says to your wife to submit to your authority that that means you don't need to say, hon, what do you think if I did that? Is that okay? That you don't have to do that? You're missing the point. D.L. Moody said this, if I wanted to find out if a man was a Christian, I wouldn't ask his minister I would go and ask his wife. If a man doesn't treat his wife right, I don't want to hear him talk about Christianity. Wow. At the beginning, I said Peter would say it takes three. We've just talked about two. So let me wrap it up by saying none of this matters if God is not at the very center of your life as a married couple. A good marriage takes both husband and wife putting forth 100%. That is true. But God is the absolute must if a marriage is going to be all that God designed it to be. Why? Because go back to chapter 2 and verse 12. Real simple. Because people need to see our good deeds and give glory to God. That means our marriage. They see our marriage in the way we treat one another, and they see something different, something that's not normal, and they say, what's going on? And as we tell them it's Jesus, they give glory to God. And if we're to take the time, you can do that. Go through chapter 3 and just circle 
in those first seven verses, every time there's any kind of reference to God, to know that Peter is saying God is at the very heart of this marriage. I've quoted Francis and Lisa Chan often. I did it in two weddings recently and read this statement, most marriage problems are not really marriage problems, they are God problems. In other words, marriage problems can usually be traced back to one or both people having an unhealthy relationship with God. That's it. Something is desperately wrong, folks, with the way many followers of Jesus, people chosen by God, are doing marriage. Depending on what statistics you see and read, the research, it's hard to get clear stuff. There is a little bit of difference between Christian marriages and non-Christian marriages. But it's not as significant as it ought to be. Think of it this way, the difference between a follower of Jesus, someone who's a true believer, a true Christian, and one who is not, is not a subtle difference, right? It's not an inconsequential thing. It's huge. The difference between a follower of Jesus and one who doesn't know Jesus is significant. In fact, think about it this way. It's the difference between being alive and being dead. And if you claim to know Jesus Christ, that difference ought to be true in your life. If you too, as husbands and wives, claim to know Jesus, your marriage ought to be that significantly different than every other marriage. Marriage of people who don't know Jesus. So what now? Well, we go back to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Because once, we're told, you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And back to verse 12. That people would see our good deeds by the way we live, by the way our marriage functions and give glory to God. We are different fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, husbands and wives. We are different. And it must show in our marriages. Point people to Christ with your marriage. Father, the world is out to destroy marriages. We know it. to tear apart the home and the family, the husband-wife relationship, to insist on all kinds of other perversions of what you designed 
as perfect, as very good. Oh God, help us as married couples to show Jesus Christ in our marriage. And I pray for others here today who may not be directly involved in a marriage situation or looking forward or any of that, God, that they would understand what the Bible says about marriage and how that affects family. God, help us to let our lights shine so that people will see our good deeds and give glory to our God in heaven. For it's in his name I pray. Amen.